0: to the most fantastic comic podcast as we uncanny tracks cover the Jonathan Hickman run on Fantastic Four. It'll be a ten issue miniseries. We're very much looking forward to doing it. We're starting off by covering the original first trade of the John Hickman run on Fantastic Four. Solve Everything. It collects issues number five hundred and seventy to five seventy four. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, how are you doing tonight?
1: Doing pretty well, Bob. I'm just excited about these characters that were on an outer space adventure when they got hit by cosmic rays. Are you reciting instead of singing
0: the theme song to the (laughs) nineties cartoon? Is that what you're doing there? That is exactly what I'm doing, Bob. Just call the four,
1: call the four, the fantastic. You didn't,
0: you didn't pronounce fantastic though. Like they sing it on that. Fantastic four. And that how it goes. There you got it. You got it. Good job. Good job. You don't need no more. Just. Nope. Just call the four. All right, I'm glad we opened with that, and then we also need to open with a disclaimer. So yes, Vile Pedants. I know there's a Dark Reign tie-in Fantastic Four miniseries before this that Jonathan Hickman writes, and it does have some connections to the main run. Uh, but it's uh, far from essential, and honestly, I just didn't want to read it. I didn't want to have to explain what Dark Rain was. I'm very vague on what Dark Rain was because it's a long time ago and my memory is faint. And uh, look, we're already doing ten episodes about the run. I think ten is enough. We didn't need to do eleven.
1: Does that sound good, Matt? Yeah, we're already ten minutes. or sorry, we're already two minutes in this, Bob, and you've lost me. What? What's Dark Rain? What?
0: Matt, I'm not going to explain Dark Reign to you. That's the entire point. That's what I just said. I don't want to explain Dark Reign to you. Okay. Well, as long as I'm not going to get
1: lost, we're good. You don't need to know Dark Reign to talk about the issues we're talking about today. But you read Dark Reign, right? A long time ago. I read the Fantastic
0: Four tie-in miniseries to Dark Reign. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't read the main thing because I generally don't make a habit of reading Marvel crossovers because they generally suck. Bob... You were doing our listeners an injustice. Oh, God. I'm not even sure if there was a Dark Reign, like a main Dark Reign miniseries, or if it was just like the label for an era of Marvel.
1: Dark. Uh, right. I can I can see the logo, I feel like,
0: or the title at the top. You, you remember how Norman Osborn defeated the Skrull invasion and secret invasion? Yes, I do remember that. And you remember how he became like the head of superhumans for the U.S. government? Oh, yeah. Dark Reign is, like, the era when Norman Osborn is, like, the head of
1: the superhero. Oh, I did read some of that. Okay. Yes, I do remember a lot of that. Okay, cool, Bob. Thanks. I did not know that was the title of it because it was so long ago. But thank you, Bob. (laughs) I I, I like that I've become the thing I didn't want to be, a Dark Reign explainer. Look at that, Bob. Congratulations. You did it. Yeah, that's awesome. And the podcast listeners and myself, thank you.
0: The only other comic I can say for sure I read from that era is that The Punisher? Because I believe that's when Norman Osborn has Wolverine's son kill The Punisher, and he becomes Frankencastle. I, I vaguely remember that as well. Man, and there's some yeah that-, that goes on. All right, That was a good series. All right, so back to the Fantastic Four, Matt. Is your experience with the FF mostly just
1: some random issues, the 90s cartoon, and the bad movies? My experience with the Fantastic Four, I watched some of that 60s cartoon and the 70s cartoon where it's like, Kirby replaces Human Torch. Do you know why they did that? I don't know. I, I used to know. I don't know now why. If you had to guess, why would you think they were worried about the Human Torch? They didn't want kids playing with fire. Is that all it was?
0: Yeah. And I'm not sure if this actually happened or if it was just an urban legend, but uh, some kids may have set themselves on fire to become the Human Torch, maybe.
1: I'm actually okay with that because I jumped off a playground one time with an umbrella because I thought I was going to be like the penguin. So <laughs> kids are dumb. I can totally see myself like, oh, I'll just set myself on fire.
0: I, I like you've got the Chad heroic kids who want to be the human torch. And then you've got
1: Matt who wants to be the penguin. I just want to jump off the thing with an umbrella and see if I float. All right. So I, <laughs> I did that. It seems so plausible. Yeah. I watched the 90s series, which that was yeah. the theme song I was alluding to earlier. Uh, uh-huh. There was also this book in the library when I was in second grade. This is before I met you. And mm-hmm. they had two books. There was a Spider-Man book and a Fantastic Four book. And I don't know what where they were collected, what they were. I don't know why our library just had these two. If you had to guess, would you say they were probably more 70s or more 90s? Probably in the 80s, okay, okay. Because Spider-Man... I remember the Spider-Man one more so because that was the one I checked out more often. <laughs> and it was primarily all the stuff you would see with Spider-Man from the 70s to the mid 80s.
0: Did it have comic stories in
1: it or was it more just, here's Spider-Man, here are his foes? Here's Spider-Man, here are his foes. It had a couple of shorter stories mixed between. It had the origin story and it had the origin story of some of the villains as you went through. And they had the same thing in the Fantastic Four book. But I just remember not being as interested in the Fantastic Four and I really liked the Spider-Man one. (laughs) You're a hater.
0: I I remember a similar Spider-Man book, although I'm not sure if it's the same one. It had a reprint of Amazing Fantasy 15, and then it had a reprint of a later story with Gwen Stacy. But then most of it was introducing you to Spider-Man and the villains. So I'm not sure if that's the one you're talking about or if it's a different one.
1: They, What's interesting now is that these uh, comic book heroes and stuff, they have so many introductory books to children with these heroes in them that to find these books in that library back then was crazy to me. <laughs> it was finding gold. Now, you go to any scholastic book fair, there's Baby's First Punisher book, whatever you can <laughs> think of. So, my, my childhood experience
0: with the FF, my dad had a couple of reprint issues um, that covered the story from this later on in the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby run, around the issue 70 or 80 of FF. There's a story where Doctor Doom locks up the Silver Surfer and steals the Power Cosmic. I do remember that, yes. My dad had a reprint issue or two from that story which I, I thought was really cool and then when we were buying uh, comics from the grocery store i bought at least one issue of the tom defalco paul ryan 1990s ff run and in that run reed richards is dead and sue storm richards is leading the team and she has a cutout four on her chest that exposes her cleavage
1: extreme
0: <laughs> very extreme, very extreme. I maybe like the FF more than you as a kid, but like you, I had a similarly limited exposure to them, mostly just the cartoon. Right. But then a few years ago, while I was back home for Christmas, um, I discovered the local college library had these big omnibuses of the original Stan Lee, Jack Kirby 1960s FF run. And so I read a lot of that run just sitting in that deserted college library during the holidays. Um, I thought it ruled. Um, I really liked it, and so I finished reading that run, and then I've read a few of the other more celebrated Fantastic Four runs. Um, I read John Burns, which I started out thinking was good, but his most famous story is The Trial of Galactus, and I think it's a terrible story, deeply, deeply bad. It misunderstands Galactus. It's racist in a weird way, uh, and that ruined the whole John Byrne run for me, Uh, but the other runs I've read that I've really loved is Walt Simonson has an early nineties run. That's very good. Um, Do you remember when Hulk ghost rider Wolverine and Spider-Man became the new fantastic four? I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Walt Simonson's run. That's one story in it and people make fun of that story, but the story is a joke. It's a joke. People people don't get that it's a joke. Uh, Mark Wade and Mike Waringo had an early ots run that's very good as well. That I read it. I've read in the last few years, and then I've also read this Hickman run. And so I really love the original Lee Kirby run, but also the Simonson, the Wade, and the Hickman runs. Uh, Matt, just to prove my research bona fides for the, the uh, listeners, I knew that Tom DeFalco, Paul Ryan, extreme '90s FF run had influenced the Hickman run and I was curious about it since I do have the vivid childhood memories of Sue Storm's uh, cleavage and so I started trying to read it and uh, it's really not good. I like other Tom DeFalco, Paul Ryan comics so I don't want to dog them but their FF run really not that good so uh, I, I skimmed it but that proved to be counterproductive because even though I just did that late last year I've already forgotten all
1: of it. Yeah, usually when they have to cut out a uh, a four on the female's chest, you know, to expose her cleavage, that usually means the writing's not going to be that great. Just a heads <laughs> yeah, <up>. it's <laughs> a shame. It's a shame. So uh, we're talking about five issues today, Matt.
0: Um, we'll we'll run through them one by one and kind of hit some key points, give you a one-line plot summary of each. The first three issues together are a story called Solve Everything. Nice little trilogy. So in issue 570,
1: Matt, what do we have? Well, we have an encounter with old Fantastic Four enemy, the Wizard, who challenges Reed to solve everything. The first thing that stood out to me about this issue, Matt,
0: is that Dale Eaglesham is the artist on this issue. And I I do like his art. I do think it's solid. I've enjoyed it on other stuff. But he does draw Reed and Johnny as swole as hell, which I I don't really love because it doesn't have
1: anything to do with their powers. Yeah, their buffness was the first thing I noticed, and it detracts from their characters. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that, but I always imagine Reed is more of like, a scientist guy. Yeah, he's healthy, but he can stretch and do whatever the hell he wants, so well, why... Also, need- the
0: stretching powers, right, the buffness, it just doesn't
1: visually go
0: with the stretching powers.
1: Like, you expect someone that stretches to be kind of slender, to be tall. This yeah. just doesn't fit with that. He's got like, huge triceps. But then Johnny Storm, I mean, whatever, he's... usually a playboy or a heartthrob. Yeah. So it makes a little more sense. Yeah.
0: And then it's also funny because Hickman is writing a very, very intellectualized read, and Reed is very intellectualized, but this is even more so than average. And so it's very funny that in this intellectualized three-part Reed story, you have Reed being swole as hell.
1: The whole reason behind the story is Reed deciding on whether or not he wants to join all these other people and solve all the problems in the universe or stay with his family. So locking yourself in a lab to solve problems, I don't think you're gonna be working on the Bowflex in there. Another little art detail that I did like, and I'm not totally sure
0: if this is intentional or not, but the robot word balloons really look like narrative captions, unless you look very closely and see the very small tail. Love the word balloons that go to the robots <laughs> and so at first when you're seeing uh phrases from the evil robots that the ff are fighting that the wizard is sent they're saying things like i am righteous vengeance in robot form and you're like wait is is mr fantastic narrating that is reed narrating that or is it the robot which i i actually thought was funny i i, I like to think that was an intentional choice
1: well if you go back and reread it too they're like all positive affirmations for these robots the stuff they tell yeah. themselves in the mirror Which is interesting
0: because we'll get to this later. A lot of the subtext about this issue is about how the wizard has been a really bad father to his son clones, right? Especially, uh, is it Bentley 32? That's the one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because all the other ones didn't get a name or something. Did you like the escalating reveals about the wizard robots? First, we see that they have clones of the wizard in them. Then it's revealed that they're not really autonomous clones, that they're computing nodes. And then it's revealed that, oh, they have brains that are powered by plutonium, and the plutonium is going to blow up.
1: I will say that having the kid hanging out in his lair all sad-looking, that, that, that was 32. scary. Yeah. That was creepy. And then they sent him to social services to be put in an orphanage or something. Good job, Reed. The
0: comic opens with Reed's memory of his dad, Nathaniel, right? Right. And then there's the contrast of Nathaniel, at least in some ways, being an, a good or an adequate father versus the wizard
1: being a terrible dad. It reminded me of, like Man of Still vibes or something. Would read working with his dad at the wood shop and doing things together.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's talking like, about all this.
1: You can't solve all the problems in the world. Family comes first. All this- it's funny because it's sort of what if Pa Kent was a mad scientist? What if Pa Kent became crazy uh, and had access to a time machine? And
0: <laughs> and eventually maybe became Kang. That's the deal with Nathaniel Richards, right? Is he's maybe Kang?
1: That that's my understanding as well. I I, I don't have a definitive answer at this point. If he is. <laughs> We're going to be K or whatever. And I don't, yeah. is that what they're going to do in the MCU? Is that how they're going to solve the Reed Richards problem?
0: Maybe. I if, I couldn't tell you, man. Speaking of fatherhood, we do see Reed being a good father, doing some bedtime reading uh, for Franklin and Valeria, his two kids. And uh, he's reading them Thomas Kuhn's Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Have you ever heard of that book? I have it, but these kids will be so socially awkward. It's a really important book in terms of the history of science because it lays out this theory where science is dominated by one paradigm and then a new paradigm comes along to displace the old one, but it takes 20 or 30 years for that
1: to happen because all the advocates of the old paradigm have to die first. I'm almost thinking of in the sense of the, of the narrative itself with the characters. It's going to take a couple of years for these other characters to replace reading them because people are so stuck on wanting to have the original Fantastic Four. That does
0: seem to be an interesting tension in a lot of Fantastic Four comics. On the one hand, writers want to expand the Fantastic Four, but on the other hand, there is always this inertial drift to take it back to the original four. So that's an interesting tension in in, in the comic and has been since the 70s, if not longer. Right. So are you familiar with Franklin and Valeria as characters? I'm more familiar with Franklin, and this has kind of introduced me to Valeria. She's actually pretty new. Franklin is born in the late 60s,
1: but, oh man, I think Valeria doesn't come around until the late 90s. I I knew all about Franklin, and I know some of the other stuff. that I don't know if it's going to be introduced in this series we're reading, but I do know a couple of things about Franklin. that This will probably deal with what you're thinking about eventually, but I could be wrong. And I don't want to ruin it for the listeners or for myself. We'll leave it there. So, thoughts on the interdimensional council of Reed Richards's Matt? 2010 when this came out, we've yet to be oversaturated with the whole multiverse of madness thing. This would have mm-hmm. been really cool back then. Yeah. Uh, would yeah. I want to hang out with a council of Reed Richards? Absolutely not. You think an interdimensional council of Reed Richards is cool.
0: What if there were an interdimensional council of saber-tooths? No,
1: Bob. I definitely don't want to hang out with saber-tooth. You, you don't want an interdimensional council of tooth? No, Bob, not interdimensional council of tooth, which oh, that's what's happening. Well, I, guess, right? I
0: guess you shouldn't read the current Wolverine comic then. <laughs> I mean what a good idea, an interdimensional council of tooths. To move on from my bitterness about how bad the current Wolverine comic is. Uh, Matt, do you have any thoughts on Reed having there there being three Reeds and
1: each of them have an an infinity gauntlet? So this is a legit question. Is the Infinity Gauntlet weaker in comics than it is in the movies? Well, here you have three of them. Well, we do get a detail in a later issue. In 571
0: or 572, they make the point that these are multi dimensional or multiversal Infinity Gauntlets. Mm -hmm. And the Infinity Gauntlet only works in its
1: home dimension. So that's one issue. That also kind of explains why there was this random Infinity Gauntlet in that Thor movie. Remember? Which one? Thor 4? No, the first Thor movie in the background, there was an Infinity Gauntlet. People said it was fake, but now I'm thinking, oh, it could just be for another multiverse. So, you ready to walk the listeners through 571, Matt? Yes, Bob. In issue 571, the Reed Council gives our Reed a tour of the farm, the hole of dooms, and galactic surgery. Of these three, Matt, which was your favorite? The farm, the hole of dooms, or galactic surgery?
0: I really like the galactic surgery. The hole of dooms was appropriately creepy. In the comic, they just call it the hole, but I feel like it's more evocative to call it the hole of dooms. So the interdimensional reeds are lobotomizing their dooms, and then they're putting them in a hole.
1: Like what they did
0: in X-Men, <laughs> in Krakoa. It is very similar to the pit, although... Hickman is such a hack, ha- he just copies his own... T- although in Krakoa, they don't lobotomize them. They just put them in the hole.
1: I don't know what was going on in the hole. Did we ever have a comic? Unfortunately, it's the Sabertooth comics. Oh, forget it then. Okay. But
0: Matt, an interdimensional council of Sabretooths. <laughs> Speaking of mutants, Matt, um, we have uh, references to a a few characters who will show up uh, in the last issue we're talking about today in this issue, but do you know who Artie and Leech are? Leech was the Morlock from the X-Men. Exactly. Or Artie, I don't know. Artie is another small mutant. He's not actually a Morlock. He's the son of a mad scientist. But Artie and Leech get um, introduced in the 80s uh, X-Factor, and then they become friends with uh, both Franklin Richards and the other characters I was going to ask you about. So they reference Katie and Jack Power. Do you know who they are? Not a clue. You, you know the Power Pack, Matt. You had a comic with them in Spider-Man in the 80s. And oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. i had like... a
0: comic like that, and I'm just going to forget it ever existed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. We're not going to talk about what that comic was, but we'll just say that the Power Pack are a family of uh, four siblings. I believe it's two brothers and two sisters who I get their powers from, I believe, a race of uh, space horse aliens, and uh, yeah, they're Playful Kid Comics. Although I've never really read the Power Pack main series, but apparently it did get pretty dark, despite having little kids in it. Oh, and do you remember that great issue? Um, Either you or I had it, where Wolverine is being stalked in the snow by Lady Shiva, and he's like mostly naked. It's the the episode or the issue is called Wounded Wolf yes i do remember that actually yes do you remember there's a little girl hanging out with him oh is that one of them that's katie power oh so katie power there was a lot of power pack crossover with the x-men in the 80s because the i believe the same woman was writing uh, x factor and new mutants as was uh, editing x-men
1: and was writing power pack at different points I'm already introduced to some newer characters here that I've never heard of. I mean, I knew Leech, but I didn't know Artie, didn't know Katie and Jack Power very well. Does uh, Hickman like to bring in characters that are obscure to some degree?
0: Well, so the thing about Hickman is, is he was reading, and we we might get into this more later in the series, but Hickman was reading Marvel Comics in the 80s, and so he Uh, brings in a lot of 80s reference points, and the Power Pack are part of that. That
1: makes sense. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Matt, did you enjoy the scene of Johnny explaining to his nephew, Franklin, that Spider-Man sucks?
1: Yeah, we found out this is kind of an ongoing thing. Johnny is just very jealous of Spider-Man. I don't know (laughs) why. He's just jealous of the attention.
0: I've been reading the original Spider-Man comics, the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko stuff uh, this month, and they're great. Uh, they're, They're shockingly great. It's like, oh, yeah, they have been... All comics have just been imitating these comics for the past 60 years. But um, one of the things I didn't expect was that the Human Torch is almost a co-star of that book. And yeah, Spider-Man and the Human Torch hate each other. Oh, okay. It's great. It's really funny. Yeah, it's sometimes it's more of a friendly rivalry, I think, in later versions.
1: And sometimes it's more they just hate each other. Well, Bob, we are introduced to some pretty big villains at the end of this issue. Are you familiar with the Celestials? The Celestials have been around for a very long time, Bob, even before the Big Bang. So that's pretty much all I know about them. They're sort of big space gods
0: uh, in the comics that came around in the 70s in the Eternals comic. And sometimes they're villains, but sometimes they're more just played as big impassive cosmic forces, if that makes sense. Right, so we have our bad guys. Sometimes the Celestial will come to judge a planet, give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down one one other thing so the the guardian's headquarters is often in the head of a dead celestial matt do you want to walk us through the uh, finale of solve everything
1: uh, issue number 572 in 572 Reed refuses to pay the price of the council of reeds and to solve everything because he loves so, it his- were you surprised what the cost of solving everything was yeah, Bob, he'd have to give up his whole family, his life, and just go solve equations in his little room all the time. As the comic says, the cost of solving everything is everything.
0: Did you have a favorite read or a favorite death of a read in this issue since we see
1: a lot of the council of Reeds killed in this issue? Human Torch read is kind of cool. Uh, there's this one Reed that had a really big head and it exploded at some point. That was a really good death. Uh, my favorite overall, though, there's, like, Muscle Man Reed. He wears a wrestling costume, and he carries his big-ass gun. He's probably my favorite.
0: By this point in the story, were you surprised about the revelation of the uh, the interdimensional Reeds having given up their families? And it's not really clear, but it's maybe even suggests that they kill their families if they don't. Maybe they're just abandoning them, or maybe
1: they're actually going further. Yeah, I feel like abandoning your family was like an initiation right to be in the Council of Reeds. <laughs> It's very cult-like. It, it was somewhat surprising that they did. And at the same time, I could see the reeds. Maybe their their setup was not as nice as the reed that we're we're accustomed to. He's got two kids, a wonderful wife. He's got he lives with his uh, brother-in-law and his best friend. Well, and I did like how it was teased, but when he's
0: met by a human torch Reed and a, a Reed with invisible powers in the first issue. In retrospect, oh yeah, they, they become that because they've abandoned their family. A interesting and subtle touch. We, we already talked about Nathaniel's mad scientist Pa Ken advice a little, Matt, but were you surprised that this version of Nathaniel gave this version of Reed such good advice based on your prior knowledge of
1: Nathaniel? Reed can't solve all the problems in the universe just not gonna happen <laughs> even the council of reeds can't solve all the problems in all of their universes but they still can grow food for everyone which is nice uh, you want to go
0: ahead and skip to 573 mad or is there anything else you kind of want to say about the solve everything trilogy
1: i enjoyed the solve everything trilogy it, it had a good message it had this a duality between uh, balancing job and family or job and friend I, I i appreciate i appreciate you adding in the friends
0: part as a side yeah. <laughs> i only read this a couple of years ago but I remember he- hearing one comics podcaster talk about it when it came out. I think it was uh, Eugene Ahn who used to co-host War Rocket Ajax. Just as I remember Ahn talking about it, he was saying that he read the first couple of issues of this Is also... Hickman's challenge to other comic book writers. We've been boring, we've been stale, we need to go bigger, we need to go more science fictional, we need to be more creative. It is interesting thinking about it. On the one hand, you're exactly right. It's this drama of how to be a good father, how to balance family and work, but it's also interesting, a subtextual challenge to other comics writers of you can do better than this. Let's
1: talk 573, Bob, and I'm just gonna let you talk about 573 because apparently it's not your favorite. Well, it's not even that it's not my favorite. Before
0: the Hickman run, you know Mark Miller, right? Oh yeah. Yes, before the Hickman run, Mark Miller and Brian Hitch had a Fantastic Four run. Uh, I like Brian Hitch's art, I do not like Mark Miller, so I have never read that run. Apparently the world that's in this issue, New World, factors pretty heavily into that Mark Miller, Hitch run, Uh, but I've never read it. I have really no idea what the deal with New World is. Um, I have no idea who all these characters who I think are pretty much all created in the Miller run, like Banner Jr. I have no idea what their deal is. I've read this issue twice. I don't really pick up on what their deal is from reading the <laughs> issue. And so I don't really feel like I can explain Johnny, Ben, Franklin, and Valeria's vacation to New World. I think this is my least favorite of the issue of the whole Hickman run, just because I don't understand it. But I don't feel like there's other issues like this. This, this to me, feels like a one-off.
1: Yeah, it really does. It seems more like, okay, I need to follow the adventures of someone other than Reed. So here's what they were doing while Reed was doing this. While Reed and Visible Woman were tied up with this, because the Visible Woman was kind of waiting on Reed to make his decision
0: the only other thing I can say about it is Neil Edwards draws this new world issue and then the next issue the last issue we're gonna talk about 574 and uh, he's Welsh and he did art for Jeff Lemire's uh, Legion of Superheroes story in Justice League United so I have fond feelings of him for that this was before that though. issue 574 as it's called days of future Franklin which I thought was a very amusing (laughs) title and a little bit of a spoiler if you think about it (laughs) it shows us Franklin's birthday party Matt this was probably the best issue. I I thought this was the best issue of the whole first volume, by far. I mean, yeah. I like the solve everything story, but yeah, by far this is the best. One of my favorite things, and this pays off at the end, is I, I really enjoy how Val bullies her older brother.
1: It's very cute. She does in the God. There's a there's such a good scene between these two at the end of this issue, but they use <laughs> the R word, Bob. And it ruins it. Oops. They used the uh, R word not, twice. And in 2010, I'm, that was acceptable. But now you read it, you're just like, ah, it's so cringe. Like, this is such a sweet scene. It doesn't ruin it to me, but I, I'm a
0: callous <laughs> person. I, I don't know that it was acceptable in 2009, but it is entirely what a girl that age would say in yes, 2009. <laughs> it is totally
1: what a kid would say at that age, yes. Even the smartest kid in the world in the universe.
0: I do like that dichotomy, right, on the one hand, Valeria um, doesn't, I, at least I don't think she has powers. She's just really smart. But then Franklin is just an average kid. He's not a genius, but he also has godlike powers, or at <laughs> least he will have his godlike powers again by the end of this comic. Yeah, and so I, all, I really it like that. Out. Me.
1: It's a balance. Yeah.
0: A few other details uh, from the comic, Matt. Uh, so we see Dragon Man uh, at the birthday party. Are you familiar with that character at all? I know what he looks like, and I feel like I've fought him in many video games, but I have no clue. He's a he's an android in the shape of a Dragon Man who was... Uh, creation was interrupted. Do you remember the Fantastic Four villain Diablo? Yes. A scientist is creating uh, Dragon Man, and then Diablo uh, tampers with it with his alchemy, and so it makes Dragon Man a person, but also a villain who can't talk. But then over time... He tends to get used more as a hero. Ultimately, before this run starts, Valeria fixes him where he's no longer a villain and he's super smart and he can talk.
1: I've seen this character so many times I never really like, looked into what he does. He'll
0: basically just be the babysitter for this run. That'll basically be his job is to babysit Frank and Val and then the other kids who they're bringing on board. Yeah, he didn't yeah.
1: really play a big part in the
0: birthday party. Did you know who the faux Spider-Man was during the birthday no, party? No, it bucked the hell out of me. Do you know who Willy Lumpkin is? No. He's the Fantastic Four's mailman, and he's been <laughs> he's been like a joke part of the series since the '60s. Oh. Usually in the movies, Willy Lumpkin looks like old Stanley, and you'll usually have like Stanley play Willy Lumpkin. Gotcha. For the most part of the uh, the most part of the issue, there's not really any action. Right, it's the birthday party and the character interactions and Spider-Man swinging around with Franklin, things like that. But then at the end, we have an intruder. Matt, who does the intruder turn
1: out to be? It turns out to be Franklin's... It turns out to be old Franklin from the future. Time-traveling yeah. Franklin. Yeah, I'd say adult Franklin. He's not really old. He's like, in his
0: 20s or 30s, yeah. But he comes and back so,
1: and he, he delivers a message to Val that's extremely cryptic and not exactly easy to follow, but I guess keeps the reader interested. <laughs> did, did any of the phrases stick out to you? The whole four cities
0: thing... I wasn't sure. One was apparently Atlanta's. If I'm remembering correctly, we're going to go ahead and start the War of Four Cities in the next volume.
1: I did appreciate yeah, the were... illustrations behind the two of them talking, because you could see they drew it out for you as kid illustrations. Right. It's in her brain, and she's thinking, okay, this is what he's telling me, and this is what I need to remember. But she's remembering the way a child would. A really smart child, but still a child, right? Yeah. The other really
0: cryptic phrase, right, is all hope lies in doom.
1: Yeah, you know, who happens to be the I, bad I guy?
0: Do you know what Valeria and Doom's relationship is? Godfather. And I haven't read the comics where this happens. I think this is the Chris Claremont late 90s run. But Sue was having trouble with the pregnancy with Valeria, And so they had to get Doom to help. In return, he said, I want to be uh, her godfather and I want to name her. Valeria is his mother's name, I believe.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I did not know all that. That's crazy. So we got the power pack hanging out with Val and Uncle Doom. Good old
0: Uncle Doom. Franklin's gift to himself. He has this prophecy for his sister, but then he has a gift for himself. Franklin has these godlike powers, but they wax and wane, right? Sometimes the writers write them away for narrative convenience because if Franklin could create a universe, it can solve most problems. Just do it. But it is a really cool scene of Franklin under the cover creating the universe. It's a nice little illustration. That was pretty cool. And that was All pretty right. much the
1: end of that issue.
0: Matt, other than the connection between the Hole of Dooms and the pit,
1: um, do you feel like you're getting any other insight into the Hickman era of X Men? Yes. Here's one big thing. And I mentioned this. I think I mentioned this in an episode previously that we had talked about where the fight scenes. Hickman just doesn't do big, gaudy fight scenes, he limits it to a page, and then you're supposed to yeah. imagine. I think he's following Grant Morrison in that. Yeah, I think you're right with that too. Now I understand that when I read Hickman, this is my expectation of that. You're not going to see everything put out step by step. This is how <laughs> you have to kind of mm-hmm. really keep up. And some things on one, it's not as it's not as convoluted as his X Men stuff is at times. But you have to think it through, and there's more layers well, that even I, I like. And I also think, in some sense, that's just a product
0: of. A.A. Hickman being less established. Mm-hmm. This is his second big series for Marvel. His first big series was Secret Warriors. But then it's also just a product of the FF being much less complicated than the right. X-Men, right? And having a much smaller cast.
1: <laughs> that, that's the other big piece, too. He's got a smaller cast to deal with here as opposed to with X-Men, where I felt like he had way too many characters doing way too many things. But he did it well, though. So props to Hickman.
0: The other thing I think, if I'm remembering hearing that, then this is interviews I heard years ago, so I might be slightly misremembering this, but from interviews I've heard with Hickman, I think he really had never read the Fantastic Four before he got the assignment, and he then read it all. But he, I, the impression I get is, when he was a Marvel reader in the 80s, he was a big X-Men fan, a big New Mutants fan, a big Power Pack fan, he wasn't a Fantastic Four fan. And so I think he does a good job from my reading of past Fantastic Four, of paying homage to past Fantastic Four stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting because it's refracted through the perspective of a guy who was not necessarily
1: a fan. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And uh, All right. But let's talk about favorite lines for a second, Bob. What's your favorite line, Matt? It's actually in that issue that we didn't care for that much. Uh, Val says to whoever, the, the character that they were following in, that new, in New World, in New World, or whatever it's called, She says, promise me you won't tell anyone, but I'm already smarter than my dad, which I thought was cool. She (laughs) says it in front of him and in front of Franklin. It's a good line. My favorite line
0: is in um, the birthday party uh, issue where Sue Storm just refuses to acknowledge uh, Bentley, 32, self-abasement. She completely ignores it. It's like, okay, (laughs) Bentley, would you like some cake? (laughs) Which I think is a very mom reaction
1: and a very nice reaction. Yeah. So I think you mentioned it already, Matt, but what was your favorite visual from these five issues? My favorite visual, Bob, is when Reed is performing surgery on the universe and the other Reed offers him a tissue to wipe his brow because he's sweating because he's so nervous trying to work through it. It's great. Um, that's a really good one. Uh, I think my favorite is Spider-Man hanging off
0: Ben's back as uh, Ben pretends to not know where Spider-Man is during the birthday party. Yeah, that was really that good. Was really fun. <laughs> is it such something Spider-Man would do, too? That's a Peter Parker thing yeah. right up there.
1: Very good. We, we basically already said this, but yeah, our favorite issue, the birthday party, hands down. Yeah, the birthday issue is great. The, the first three issues with solving the big problem or whatever, that those were fine. They were good. That vacation issue, it was filler. To make sure we had an explanation of where those other characters were i i am looking forward to
0: rereading more because i do like how hickman handles uh, the two richard's kids and i like how he handles ben and johnny If that particular environment since i don't understand the premise yeah. it makes it hard to follow
1: i don't know much about fantastic four those than the main four characters so there's a whole new set of weird characters i've never seen before they're trying to build these relationships but one of them was johnny's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend they were <laughs> trying to make connections but there's too much Hulk Jr. showed up. Come on. The other new stuff in this
0: run is better introduced, whereas since the New World was a previous run, Hickman,
1: understandably, taken familiarity with it for granted. All right, Bob, so when it comes to favorite character, though, at this point, my favorite character is Val. There's something about that kid that's hilarious to me. Franklin, to me, is more like Reed, even though he's not as smart. as His sister's really smart. I get that. But Franklin, to me, has all this power, and he's going to want to do all crazy with it and stuff, whereas Val is a little more grounded, maybe. I think you're right, and I'm really glad
0: that you like Val. She's absolutely my favorite Fantastic Four character. I I love her in this. I love her in Mark Waid's run. But um, I'll I'll go ahead and give it to, to Reed for this batch of issues. He's the focus, and we get to see Reed be a good dad, which is always nice. So and we're going to look at volume two next week. Just four issues, Matt. Five seven five five seven.
1: Yay. Just four issues, Matt. You can do it. Thanks, Bob. I meant that <laughs> to say that we're both lazy. Well, if you ever want to know anything about Krakoa and what's going on in the recent recently, please check out that uh, episode of our podcast. Check out our X-Men talk.
0: And, we, we suffered. Matt had to listen to a lot of me talking, so you should listen to a lot of me talking <laughs> to make Matt's suffering worthwhile. All right. Uh, this has been the world's most fantastic comics podcast. It's Uncanny Treks, covering the Hickman run of Fantastic Four. I'm Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Have a good night, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening.